sound acronym. The H man be sober, grave, temperate, sound of sincerity, impatience. Age woman likewise. They be in behavior as become a slowness. Not false accusers. Not given to much wine. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husband, to love their children. To be discreet, chaste, good, keepers at home, good, obedient, and unto their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. The young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Now all things showing thyself pattern of good works and in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, he that is of the contrary part, they may ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants be obedient unto their own masters and please them well in all things. Not pulling, but showing all good fidelities, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. That the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing, the great God, our Savior, in all things. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, purify unto himself pure people zealous of good. These things rebuke, exhort and rebuke themselves. Let no man despise thee. chapter and we're just going to spend just a little bit of time here tonight uh, in something that I I feel that that the Lord would have <clears throat> me to read to you John the 13th chapter verse 34. Verse 34, in a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Praise God. Now you may be seated, and I just felt that this kind of fit the atmosphere here tonight. 
There is indeed a tremendous amount of, of love that's flowing. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and shake their hand and say, I love you. Can you do that? Praise God. Now I realize <clears throat> Praise God. Brother Phoenix, I love you. I realize that a lot of people really don't know what love is all about. And I realize that it's really abused. The, the term is abused in our our present world, especially in the rank of uh, what we call Christianity. Because there are some people that, that uh, they, they use the term love or the word love. And uh, they just feel that, you know, if you love someone that you... That you, you you just never in any way rebuke them. Uh, you never in any way uh, uh, chastise them. As parents, you know, love children. Uh, the Bible says if you don't uh, chasten your children, then uh, that's a true sign that you don't love them. And so they take a little bit out of context. Uh, I suppose that uh, this word love is just so abused and quite often... You know, quite frankly, seeing the abuse of it, uh, I shy away from from talking about it a lot because because uh, I I don't want any of you that is, if you misunderstand the term love, to think that that's all there is to living for God. Uh, well, that's not all there is to living for God, but nevertheless, it is a very very important thing. And it's good that we understand it. It is really good that we understand. Here in the Wisconsin district, we have a great fellowship of ministers. It's just outstanding. I was up in Shawano yesterday. We got uh, up there. The roads were very slippery. We drove up there to be with the brethren as they held their uh, annual conference and made plans for the work of the Lord and and. Uh, it was just such a beautiful fellowship, just so beautiful. And, of course, uh, I want to point out something here because I think this is a spirit in which uh, you can accept it, and at the same time, the spirit in which it was done was such a beautiful thing. We had one brother to get up. Somebody made a resolution from the floor concerning uh, our minister's quest retreat that we have each year, held various places. And one brother get up, got up and said, I'd like to recommend... Uh, and so Brother Bridges, the presbyter, said, are you making this in a form of a motion? He said, yes. So we had a second. Now it's open for discussion. One man stood up and said, uh, well, I, uh, I'm against this resolution. And he told why. And uh, he said, now this is the reason why I'm against this resolution. And his logic was good and so forth. Uh, right next to him was a brother just sitting there listening to him. And he stood up and he said, well, he said, uh, I want to speak against what uh, my brother just said here. And uh, so he turned around and told why that what we were what they were about to do wasn't right. And uh, he sat down and uh, they just started chatting back and forth to each other. I mean, no hostility, no animosity, nothing. 
And as I saw those brothers and their particular spirit, I thought, now, you know, that's a real display of Christian character. When you can sit there and, and stand up and you just said, I, I want to speak and uh, I want to disagree with what uh, this brother, and he called his name, had just said. You know, it was just, uh, it was such a beautiful thing, such a beautiful thing. And, of course, all we were doing, we were trying our best to seek direction for the church. We're talking about doubling in a decade. Now, I'm just going to be throwing some things out here to you tonight. So, uh, a lot of this won't be good for all of you, but it'll be good for some of you, and some of it will be good for all of you. But, you know, uh, uh, you, you think about, in Wisconsin now, you think about having uh, a 90 to 100 churches. Isn't that going to be great? Praise God. It's going to be great. Uh, an independent church uh, up at Thorpe just recently elected a United Pentecostal Church pastor. Brother Dwayne Nelson is going there to pastor that church. And he is the son of Brother Nelson down in Oklahoma, Brother Rutherford's acquainted with. And uh, just such a beautiful spirit this young man had. And such a beautiful spirit the church had. Just a, a great thing. And you will find that, that all over, uh, people are seeming to uh, come to an understanding that, that you can be disagreeable and yet be agreeable. That you can disagree in what you're saying, but agree with your spirit. And you know, on the day of Pentecost, they were all in one mind and one accord. And uh, they cast a vote there to choose who would take the place of Matthias at least a day or so before, and of course the, the vote fell upon, uh, I say Matthias, the, uh, Judas, the vote fell upon Matthias, who was to take the place of Judas, who by transgression fell. So they, they did discuss some, some controversial things. In Acts the 15th chapter, they did the same thing. It almost appears that, uh, that at times that uh, they they were very strong in what they believed. But yet when it was, all the votes had been cast and the dust had settled, so to speak, they were brothers and they loved each other and they worked for the common cause of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. I'm trusting and praying that, that we here in this church will be able to give to the church more direction in 1983 than we've, we've ever had before. Uh... There's just a few things that we're working on that I believe is going to be great. And uh, we have more people now teaching Search for Truth, more people involved in the reaching of the lost uh, than we've, we've ever had. And I really praise God for that. It just seems that uh, the message in tongues, the worship, the song that Brother Manley uh, composed, and, and then, of course, had you to sing it just kind of ministered in this line. And I thought I'd just lay my notes aside and just kind of flow with the tide. Uh, the Lord is bringing His people to a, a real understanding of what He wants to do in the last days. Now, you see, what can happen sometimes, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the ministry here for a moment. And you men who are aspiring to the ministry... Uh, you take careful note of what I'm saying. And, of course, you who are not involved in the active ministry, but perhaps working on the church board as an elder 
Uh, you need to listen to this. Very important. If you're teaching in a classroom as a supervisor, you need to listen to this. If, if people are under you and, and, and they're working under you, that you need to understand a couple of things about leadership. You see, when you get up and you preach inspirational messages and people leave and there's nothing that they can become involved in, inspiration without direction leads to mass confusion. You know, you can, you can stand up, everybody needs to work for the Lord. Now get up and get busy and such. But there's no program for the people to get involved in. There's no direction given as to what they're supposed to do and such. Uh, people leave and they're very, very, very confused. Now we do have quite a few programs around here. And I know that some of you think, man, I stay busy, 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 busy. And, and I can concur with what you're saying, that it is possible to become too busy. I mean, just too busy. You know, a long time ago, I ran across a scripture in the Bible, and it just keeps coming back to me. And, of course, Jesus said, Whosoever seeketh to save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life shall gain it. And I purposed in my heart then that I was going to give my life, literally give my life, for the cause of the Lord. Now, when I say give my life, you see, when Jesus said, Whosoever seeketh to save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life. The word lose here means literally spent. That you spend your life just like you'd spend the coins that are in your hand or in your purse. You take them and give them away. Give them in exchange for something else. And that's what the Lord was saying. Whosoever seeketh to spend his life to give it away, he's going to gain life. Now, just to what point, then, can you become too busy? When you are so confused and frustrated and you're not doing justice to anything, then you're, you know, you're too busy. You're better off to do one thing well than ten things not so good. And I think sometimes the Lord just needs to baptize us with a lot of good common sense. You know, you can become involved in everything. Don't become involved in everything just to say, well, I go to the campus meetings, I work in the Sunday school, I work on the bus routes, uh, I work in the rest home service, uh, uh, I, you name it, I do it. You know, there's, you know, and I know that we have a lot of meetings that go on here that I do not personally attend. I used to try to attend them all, but I found out that I can't. So when I turn something over to an individual as far as... Uh, a minister is concerned, I've got to trust that person. I mean, literally put my trust in that person. And you know, this is something that the church really needs to do, is learn to trust. Praise God. You need to learn to trust. You know, and there are a lot of things in this world that will, that will come and deteriorate trust. Now, you know yourself, if you work on a bus route, and you have parents who come out here to hear me preach, and you go knocking on that bus route next Saturday, the chances of finding somebody that didn't like my message are very great. Now, you know that. And somebody's going to say, you've got the ugliest, meanest preacher I've ever seen. Now, the reason why that I know they tell you that, because they've told me that, some of them have. Now, I didn't believe them, but nevertheless, they, they told me that. <clears throat> But, uh, you know, now that, that, that works that way. You know, you're going to find that. See? And sometimes when you hear these things, you begin to look at the church as if, hey, we're doing something wrong. Now, if it's over and over and over, and if it's a constant thing over and over, then it's time, yeah, we need to look at the situation. But you're just going to find people 
that just don't like somebody. You know, if somebody's praying at the altar, and, and I've had this to happen quite often, I've gone and talked to those people in their home and said, well, everything was going good to that brother or that sister started screaming in my ear. And uh, it's easy then to come and lay the blame on the people. Well, maybe the blame is not on the... It, it appeared to me that, that, and it does appear to me very often that the person praying out here likes everything that's happen, happening on Sunday night. But come Monday, when the devil begins to work on them, they change and they don't like what they liked on Sunday. So, see, you're going to hear all of these things. We need to have trust in each other. See, we, we've got to, and we've got to have confidence in each other. And did you know there's always a situation or circumstance that can tear down and destroy trust? You see, we don't compete with each other. We're part of the body. The eye doesn't compete with the hand. It works in harmony with the hand. The mouth does not compete with the ear. It works in harmony with it, see. The feet do not compete with the brain. They work in harmony. See, and the body must work in harmony. Now, this reminds me of a quite a comical story that I heard, uh, and uh, somebody told me it was a true story. Now, if you say, "Oh, that's not true," well, please understand, I didn't say it was true. I said somebody told me it was true. There was a couple who had been married for fifty years. In fact, they had celebrated their golden wedding anniversary, and they had never spent the night any place without the other one being there. They had always been together. Well, there was a sawmill not far down the road from where they lived in this old country town. And they were, the talk of the town was this couple that were always seen together. And they were always loving each other. And they always cared for each other. And they said, I wonder what it would actually take to separate them. And one man says, I believe I can separate them. And he says, oh, you can't do that. Their marriage is solidified. I mean, 50 years. They, they say they never had an argument. He said, well, I believe that I can cause them to fight. And so, he said, how are you going to do it? Well, he got to watching them when he'd pass. They'd be out on the porch, and he'd stop and talk to them, see? And so, when he start, started to talking to them, he just began to notice little things about them. So, uh, one day when he passed by, uh, the wife was in the house, so he stopped and said, uh, you know, uh, Jonah, you're a good guy, you've been married a long time, but when I've been stopping here, I don't know if you noticed this, you're probably real close to your wife, your wife has been acting real strange. Now, probably you didn't notice this, but she, she has been, and the people in the community are talking about it. Oh, yeah, I said, uh, you better watch her because she's acting real strange. Well, he got to watching her, see, and he keep his eye. And so what happened then, uh, one day he caught the, the wife out in the yard and the husband around back. And so he said, uh, uh, Nellie said, uh, uh, you know, Joe said, uh, I, I noticed that he's got a, a wart right here. And he said, it's getting bigger and uh I think it's caused by shaving, but those shaving warts sometimes, you know, they scrape the face, will turn into cancer. And, uh, you know, he needs to get that removed. And I said, oh, well, it's such a minor thing. I noticed that too, but I know it, the thing is growing. And it's getting bigger and bigger. Now, you watch that wart. When that gets so big, the doctors won't be able to take it off because it's going to be deep down inside, embedded in his cheekbone there, and... 
And, uh, you know, if the doctor took it off, it probably means sudden death because you know how cancer is when you operate on it. And so uh, uh, I said, now, I wouldn't say anything to him about it, but I'd watch it real carefully. So next day or so, he came by and saw them together and talked with them. And then uh, uh, every now and then he'd see one, he'd stop and say, you know, is that wife of yours that she's acting stranger than ever before. Now, you better really watch her. And... Uh, then when he talked to the man, he said, Now, you, you better watch uh, uh, that wife of yours. Uh, uh, the, the, rather, the wife, you better watch that husband. That well, wart's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So one day when he caught him out in the yard, he, he told uh, his uh, uh, told the man, said, Now, Nellie is acting really strange, and you need to really watch her. So I'll tell you what you do. He said, Don't. I would not go to sleep without... Uh, Keeping my eye. I'd sleep very lightly and I'd keep my eye open. I'd watch. And, uh, all right, all right. And because you take at this age when sonality comes in, it, you know, it's possible that she could do something very dangerous. And then, of course, he uh, goes and talks to the wife, said, Now, I tell you, that's just a shave wart there and it's getting bigger. I don't think it's, and he's not going to the doctor, it's very evident. So now you go look in the medicine cabinet and when he goes to sleep you get your straight razor out and you slip up there and you just clip that little wart and get your little tissue and put on there when he gets up he won't even know it and so uh here joe's uh snoring on the sofa one day and he's got his eye kind of open his nelly goes tiptoeing so, you know she opens up the medicine cabinet and she gets out the razor and opens it up Starts slipping through. And Joe's got his his eye open. Well, we won't finish the story. <clears throat> but uh, for the first time in fifty years, this couple had the fight of their life. And you see, while they were perfectly uh, harmonious in their relationship they allowed an intruder to come. And this is something that we need to understand. You see, what the world wants to see in us is love. But there's nothing the world would like to do more because, see, what happens with the world is that, that they, there's enough of God in man to desire the things of God. Why? Because God was made in the likeness and the image of Jesus Christ that was to come, according to Romans 5.14. And so man is able to recognize good things. But you see, the problem of it is, at the same time, at the very same time, there is enough of the devil in man to want to destroy the church. And we need to bind ourselves together with the, the cohesiveness of love that will keep us and make us what God Wants us to be. It's easy for us to turn on each other. But you see, if we all have our job, I preached recently of Gideon. Gideon had 300 people, and you're the reason why that Gideon won the battle. Well, one, they, ex they accepted leadership that came from God, and then they carried out their plan to the detail, 
And the Bible says when they were camped around and about the Midianites, there were 100 here, 100 over there, 100 over there. They happened to have a light in their hand and they had a pitcher over the top of it. And they were to, when Gideon blew the trumpet, they were to break that light and let uh, that pitcher rather and let the light shine. And the Bible says that God brought a great victory and every man stood in his own place. Now that's such a beautiful thing. In other words, every man did exactly what he was supposed to do. And when we when we liken that unto the body, the toe was there. I read recently in in the paper, or saw a picture in the paper where a man had uh, somehow his his thumb was was severed, and they took and put his toe there where where his his thumb was to be. You read in the Judges the first chapter where they took these individuals and cut off their thumbs. You remember that? Hard to operate without a thumb. You see, these were men of war. And to punish them, they cut off their thumbs. You can't hold a sword with four fingers. It takes the thumb. Now what they did, they, they took off a toe and they put it where a thumb was. And while it is important for us to understand that there are some members that seemingly have a, a more prominent position than others, for the body to be complete, friend, we need each other. And the man who could use the toe where the, the, the hand or the thumb was, please understand also that if that man was involved in running a race, he would need that toe rather than his thumb. And see, God wants the body to be complete because there are so many different jobs, so many different vocations, so many different talents, so many different areas of ministry that we're involved in. Now let me just show you a parable in Luke the 11th chapter that I recently discovered that I think is such a great one and probably deals more with the ministry. And I said that I wanted the young men to take careful note of this. I said Luke 11, didn't I? Luke 12, pardon me. And the Lord said, verse 42, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make rule over his household and give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink and be drunken, and the Lord of that servant will come in that day when he looketh not for him, and at that hour when he is not aware, he will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant, which knew the Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did accordingly, as his will shall be beaten with many stripes. Now, I think what that's saying when it talks about the Lord's will, that God has a particular job for you. Okay, God has a job for everybody that's in the body. Now, if you think you can go do your thing separate and apart from the direction of the church, you, you'd have a hard time proving that scripturally. You'd have a very difficult time proving that scripturally. Now, as I take a look at this parable, I see 
leadership in this. And of course, people doing the will of the Lord. Now, everybody is somebody's leader. When David took and when he organized Israel, everybody had a job. Everybody had a position. I mean, he organized that thing to the hilt and he had everybody doing something. You see, and I see the church like that, that everybody has something to do. God's will must be performed. Now, notice what happened, though. Uh, they were working, all working in the vineyard. And uh, after a while, uh, uh, summertime has passed, and, and uh, uh, seemingly there's uh, some, some prosperity. I use the word prosperity because the Bible says they begin to eat, eat and drink and be drunken. In other words, they, they were living in, in what I would call affluence somewhat. Well, there's nothing wrong with God blessing you. God wants to bless you. But you see, what happened was, they, they, they looked out and they said, My Lord delayeth is coming. In other words, the Lord's not coming. This is the reason why that Brother Keith was inspired by the Lord. But yet notice what happened in this inspiration, Brother Keith. When the Lord inspired you concerning the delay of his coming, he said, look for some soul. In other words, keep your eyes on the harvest. But you see, they didn't do that. What happened was, they become frustrated. And what we must be very careful in doing, you see, if we preach direction, or if we preach uh, 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 inspiration, and we don't give people direction, they le- it leads to confusion. But please keep on the other uh, in mind, on the other hand, if we preach inspiration, give direction, and you don't follow the leading of God's will into your own ministry, then confusion will come for sure. And you see, what happened was that that they began to look at each other, and they said, my, my, the Lord hasn't come back, and there's so much yet to be done. Well, we thought he'd get here when we had the garden all prim and proper, and now the summer is coming. We kind of sit down, and weeds are growing and everything. And, and, and what they did, they began to blame each other for this problem. And so I will start first with the leadership, and you'll see this in churches sometime. So I'm going to first talk about myself. Sometimes pastors say, this city's got to be reached, the world's got to be reached. And instead of reaching out and contacting God and praying for God, to give you direction. It's easy. And listen to this, all of you young ministers who are aspiring to the ministry, because one of these days you'll have your own church. It's easy for you then to get totally frustrated and confused. And what happens then, you begin to blame somebody else. And preachers can turn on the manservants and the maidens. In other words, they turn around and all they do is hammer them over the head. In other words, why don't you get out and get out there and win the loss of the Lord? In other words, they begin to beat them. Just sit out there and go cold and go to hell. Well, see, in a lot of churches, there's no program for the people to work in. And so this is what happens. See, the problem's not in the people. The problem's in the leadership. You see, that's, that's what I'm saying here. Now, this is not only for the ministry. This is a parable that's given for all people. 
In other words, they turn on the people. And so the preacher says, it's not my fault, it's yours, because you're too stinking lazy to work. And they begin to, to beat the people. Now, I know that the Scripture says that ministers should rebuke. But it also says, with all long suffering. And you see, you're not suffering long if every time you preach, you feel like you've got to rebuke people. That's not long suffering. That's just losing your cool. <clears throat> Is it all right if I talk to you young preachers that way? Now, that's true. And, and you know what? When you start beating people, you get zero response out of them. But why? Because you see, God's people are sheep. They were intended to be led, not driven. They're not hogs and goats that you drive. They're sheep. And they won't go any place that you don't go. They follow in your footsteps. You are the shepherd. And if you want to know how good of a leader you are, turn around and see who's following. And if you don't have any following, friend, you're not a leader. I mean, it's just that simple. And you see, this is what happens sometimes. Now, we could go on down the line, and let's do that. As we go on down the line, you see, you can have a, uh, let's say, uh, uh, you're a captain of a bus route, and nobody on this bus route will do a thing. I have to run this single-handedly. Everybody on this bus route, is uh, they're too lazy to get out, and they're too lazy to get out on Saturday, and they seem to have lost their inspiration. And you see, you turn on them, and you begin to beat them. I guess I am preaching. <clears throat> and you say, if all these people weren't so lazy, we'd be able to reach these people. When the whole trouble lies in you. You see? Now we can go on down below that. Uh, you can be a superintendent of a class. The head teacher. And you wonder, what come this class won't go? I can't understand why I can't get these people to visit and sweep the floor and, and get everything going. And uh, I tell you, I'm so frustrated and so confused, and, and it's easy then to get them together. I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. You know, in your own mind, you're thinking that, and boy, you lose your cool with them and just, ooh. And you see, the truth of the matter is, you see, the problem's in you. Now, <clears throat> let's go on down a little bit further. We're stepping down the steps now. Now, let's say here you are and you don't teach, you don't preach, you're just a, a witness. Okay, <clears throat> so you go out in the vineyard and uh, here's a man that's lost, needs God. And you want to win him so bad and yet you haven't prayed and you want to be successful and the Holy Ghost is not vibrant in you and you haven't failed anything for a long time, but you sure hope he does. You haven't prayed in a long time, but you sure hope he does. You know, you haven't fasted in a long time, but you sure hope somehow he will do it. You haven't read your Bible in a long time, but somehow you sure hope he'll look at his. In other words, you're confused. You're frustrated. Why? Because the will of God is born in your life. And it's easy to turn on that man. Have you ever witnessed somebody you just wish you could get them and shake the daylights out of them? Now that's what I'm talking about. 
I got a good response there because I think most of you have felt that. And you say, man, I'll tell you what. If I didn't work over here at this plant where all these heathen were, I'd be successful in the kingdom of God. And you go around, wham! And I go around, wham! You listen to me. God's coming soon. Wham! And the whole point of confusion is not in the place where you work, but it's in your own heart. You see, this parable is talking about a servant. And sometimes we rise up to become lords, not servants. He that is great among you, let him be your minister. He that is chief among you, let him be servant of all. And it's real easy for God's people to rise up and take this attitude, I am it. I have arrived. I know it all. God uses me. If you want to know anything about Jesus, come to me. I'm Mr. Know-it-all. I've got all the answers. And if you don't straighten up and fly right, God's going to burn you in hell for a billion years. Come on, world, wake up. Jesus Christ is coming. And we just throw our temper tantrum around people and have a fit. And then we wonder why in the world these people won't come to church. We're talking about love. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Now you may say, Brother Grant, why are you preaching this way? Because Jesus said in the last days, we got to be careful because that's the way the kingdom of God will be. And that's why we need to remind each other, we don't want to be like this parable where we take vengeance out on each other and anger out on each other and frustrations out on each other. While there's a world out there that's wicked and lost and dying and going to hell, friend, we need the vibrant flow of the Holy Ghost running through every program we have, working harmoniously with each other. Oh, hallelujah, that we may see in the last days a revival like the world has never seen before. Praise God. At the same time, loving each other, embracing each other, lifting each other up. Praise God. Praise God. If this church is not successful, it's not altogether your fault, friend. It's my fault also. If campus ministry doesn't go right, it's not altogether your fault. It's partly Brother Felix's fault. And if rest home services don't go well, it's not altogether your fault. It's partly Brother John Seidel's fault. Praise God. And if the outreach of this church is not what it ought to be, it's not altogether your fault. It's partly George O'Neill's fault. And you see, what you do, you understand who you are and your purpose for being here. That we're not lords. We're servants to all men. And so we're going to love them and serve them and lift them up. And the strong will bear the infirmities of the weak. Praise God. I don't have any notes, but I feel good. Amen. Hallelujah. But you know that happens in a lot of churches. Now, I, you know, I don't want, to, I don't want to, to, to lay blame on pastors. But some churches just sit for a long time. Some saints sit for a long time. And you go to deeper lot meetings and you go to Sunday school meetings and you go here and you go there and you weep tears and you get up and you feel like, I'm going to win the world. And you walk outside of your doors. What am I going to do? And you see, the will of God, I don't, I don't know how to do it. 
I don't know what to do. I'm so frustrated and I'm so confused. And all of a sudden you see your neighbor out and you think, here's my chance. <laughs> Woo! And you run out there and you say, well, how are you today, Mr. Jones? Uh, uh, by the way, we're having a revival service. And he just, oh, we're going out partying tonight. Oh, you're going to go partying. Well, let me, I'm here to tell you, friend, that we don't party over at Calvary Eskimo Church. And, and, uh, and all of a sudden you find that what happens, instead of really loving this man and winning him to yourself, as Brother O'Neill spoke on, you know, you got your Bible out, you got your Acts and 238s out, and you're chopping away. And you're shooting him down. And then you wonder why in the world won't this man be baptized? Oh, but you see the, the horror of the story is that if you beat people, you shall be beaten. Now the Lord says then take your part with the unbelievers. Unbelievers? Yeah, why? Because, see, you really didn't believe the Bible way would work. You didn't believe that loving each other and caring for each other was right. You were too lazy to pray. You were too lazy to read your Bible. You thought the anointing was getting red and having your ears turn purple. That's not what it's all about. I've seen people's face get red and they knock the face off of somebody else. You see, it's more than that. It's being in love with the Lord and being in love with people and caring for them and serving them. It's letting the Spirit of the Lord go through you. Praise God. Do you know what? I can't want a soul. I can't heal anybody. I can't supply your need. But friend, if you're here, and you have a need, Jesus can do it. If you're here and you have, need a healing, Jesus can do it. Praise God. So we won't take our frustrations out on each other or out on the world, but we will put our feet in our place and we will stand there. Praise God. And we will overcome the enemy through obedience to the Master's voice. He is coming soon. I feel the presence of the Holy Ghost here, don't you? Glory to God. Let's just praise Him. I love you, Jesus.